Hello and welcome to the NFL Scotland podcast. No camera on this week, so I'm joined by Charles and Gordon to talk through all things American football. We'll talk about three of the games from the weekend. We'll talk about your Bob Bag, Bowfin and Belter Awards. And we'll also talk about the coach hires. And only if this pair forced me will we talk about the fourth game, the game that must not be mentioned. So, Charles and Gordon, thanks for joining me, gentlemen. Charles, we'll start with you because you're the only person whose team made it through at the weekend. Was was it a bit of a breeze, so to speak, against hey. the Rams? Hey. Oh, you've, you've brought, you brought him up inside 40 seconds. I had to because I knew <laughs> you lot were going to do it. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, listen, um, going back to the first game of the weekend, I think it was, I think we called it. I called it. I said, as good as the Rams' defence was, I didn't think they, they would be able to keep Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams quiet all day. And ultimately, I didn't think the Rams had enough weapons to keep up with the Packers. And that's how it proved. They, they had them at arm's length the whole day. I have to say, I thought Jared Goff played pretty well, um, considering he, he, he busted his thumb a couple of weeks ago. He didn't make many mistakes, but they just didn't have enough in the tank to keep up with Green Bay. And it's the, I think it's only the second time this season that the Rams have conceded at more than 30 points in a game and to do it to probably the top offense in the league, it didn't surprise me. And the Lambo crowd being there as well, that made it a little bit extra special. And you could see how much it meant to Aaron Rodgers at the end of the game, the fact that he's going to be playing a championship game on his home patch next week. And they look great. They look really good. If, um, if we're going to blow our own trumpets on what we called, I'd like to point out that I said that I didn't think Jalen Ramsey was the best cornerback in that game. And Jair Alexander, Alexander proceeded to allow negative three yards in coverage. He's the only starting cor- cornerback since PFF have been tracking stuff since 2006 to allow negative yards in a playoff game. Which, Quite is, which is remarkable. Gordon, convince me that the Rams aren't all Emperor's new clothes certainly on offense and with Sean McVay, I remain highly unconvinced. Can you convince me otherwise? Not with Jared Goff at quarterback. And I think you even saw, it was either the post-game press conference or the following day, he was asked, you know, is Jared Goff your quarterback? And he said, he's our quarterback right now. It's not not a ringing endorsement. And there's been reports out now from, uh, I think it was on NFL Network, that that, relationship apparently needs marriage counselling um, so I mean I think I think McVeigh's a really great offensive mind you saw he was able to get a functional offence out of John Walford um, and the fact that Goff can't really deliver that much for them probably leads me to think that that's not a long term uh, pairing and that's probably something that we're going to see a new quarterback paired with McVeigh probably within a couple of years you wonder what they're going to do there. I mean, we don't want to dwell on the Rams too much, but they have the pieces to go back to, to the Super Bowl. They're not far away, but they've got a quarterback who's got a huge contract there. This is a guy, I remember, that was a number one pick. If that relationship is is done in Sean McVay's eyes, how do they move him on and who do they go for? It's going to be really difficult for them to actually try and find an alternative solution. And that's one for maybe the off-season, but... You, do, you can just imagine Sean McVay wanting to work with someone like Deshaun Watson, don't you? <laughs> that would be amazing in his eyes, but it's easier said than done. You mentioned it, Gordon, this throwing under the bus. And that's what it felt like. I mean, it's not a ringing endorsement. You hardly part on good terms for your, you know, for your break in January. And all of a sudden, 
you know, the Rams have got a quarterback controversy when Sean McVay could have said nothing and just moved on and gone about his business quietly. Yeah, and I mean, they can't do anything about him realistically. I think it's like 2023 is the first time. If they were to cut him this year coming up, uh, it's like a $65 million cap hit in a year that the cap's not going to be as high as people were expecting. I think it's 30 the following year. So they're not saving money getting rid of him until 2023. So that makes the decision to throw him under the bus even more interesting because it's a relationship that you're probably going to have to deal with for at least a couple of years. Now, you can kind of get over that. Maybe they do what the Eagles did and they draft a quarterback in the second round or something like that. You know, But you're still going to have to eat that contract for another two years. So it's, uh, it's asking for trouble. Charles, let's concentrate on the Packers. You know, arguably you are in great form. You've peaked at the right time. Is there any area of concern for you going into the, we'll touch more on the divisional game, just coming out of that game. Is there any area of concern for you? I I think this is a much more rounded team than it was a year ago. Um, On defence, they're not the best defence in the league. I think everyone accepts that. But offensively, the mind meld between Rodgers and Matt LaFleur is quite something. And everybody's fit. I said this last week. Everybody bar David Bakhtiari on that squad is fit. So they go into this game in the championship game essentially with a full roster. The offensive line has been the biggest concern all year and they've managed to make it work. He was not touched. I mean, Aaron Donald wasn't at full peak peak strength, but Michael Brookers, Leonard Floyd, these guys didn't touch Aaron Rodgers. And that's partly due to the, the good play of the line, but it's also partly due to the play calling and the scheme. The one, one, the one play that really stood out for me in the entire game and showed just the level that he is playing at the moment, Rodgers, and the level in which the coaching and the play calling is at was the Devonnie Adams touchdown, where Adams was in motion, it went from the right over to the left, and Jalen Ramsey followed him. And then the timing for Adams to spin around 180 degrees, sprint back across for the play to start and for Ramsey to be out of position, he was bubbled by his own defense. Adams was clean and Ramsey was going bananas at his, at his, uh, his teammates because he couldn't get near Adams. And this is the guy who's arguably the number one cor- cornerback in the league. And he'd been outfoxed and that is scheming. It's absolute scheming. And last year, it took time to grow together and there was a lot of debate about Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers' relationship. You can see they're working as one and it's an, it's an extraordinary thing to watch when it works. And Rodgers is playing as you guys both know that I, I worship at the church of, of Rodgers and I, I, think he's the, I think he's the most talented quarterback this century. I think he's more talented than Brady. He may not be the greatest, and he, he may well end up being less talented and less imp- impactful in, in the history of, of the game than, than Mahomes. But he can do things that no one else can, bar Mahomes on a good day. And I think he's proving it at the moment. And it's, it puts the team in a really good place because they are full of confidence. What I think is really interesting is there was a lot made in previous seasons about the fact that the Packers hadn't necessarily invested in playmakers around them. You know, like, there's all the stats about how they hadn't spent a first-round draft pick on a wide receiver. And it turned out, turned out all you actually needed to get the best out of Aaron Rodgers was spend a first-round pick on a quarterback. 
<laughs> I know. So true. So true. I, mean, I remember talking about that with you in the, in the spring, and I said, I don't think he'll be too worried about it. And he proved that. <laughs> um, I mean, great. he said it. He said at the time when he was drafted, he went off and poured four, four fingers of tequila, and that was it. He's always <laughs> in class. He's always been a class player, but he's been let down time and again by bad defences and perhaps by his own frustrations at times. And this year, the, the defence is good. It's get, been getting better down the stretch. Mike Pettin, the def- defensive coordinator, is he usually gets battered with a stick by Green Bay uh, Twitterati and supporters because they, they constantly want the defence to be better. But the pass rush is there and the cornerbacks and the, the safeties are as good as they've been in years. And the only weak spot for me is, is the linebacker position and the fact that you can still run on them. And, you know, Tampa, I think, can run on them next week. Um, but... I think the the package is just about there. They're as good as they're going to get. This is the this is the year, really, if they want to win it. I think. Well, we'll come back to that. Let's let's move to the second game, which was the Ravens against the Bills. Gordon, this was a strange game because if you look at some of the statistics, you know the Ravens had more plays, more yards, better yards per play, more passing yards, more rushing yards, all of the things you would want to be up in and yet find themselves losing by 14. There was a stat I saw after the game. Earlier this season when the Ravens lost to the Steelers, they were the first team in NFL history to outrush their opponent by 200 yards and lose. Uh, in this game against the Bills, they were the first team in NFL history to lose in the playoffs when outrushing their opponent by 100 yards and having more passing yards. But you can't turn the ball over in key situations in the NFL, and that's that's what hurt the Ravens. I think there is a, there's basically a five-minute segment that resulted in the way that game went. The Bills came out, scored a touchdown in the opening drive of the second half. The Ravens then matched them all the way down the field. Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson throws a horrible interception. <laughs> the crazy thing about the interception is that Teron Johnson, his coach, probably in the moment he started running out of the end zone, was probably furious for about six seconds because he brings it out of the end zone. Mark Andrews almost tackles him at the three and then he breaks free and he scores. And then two plays later, another bad snap by the center, which had happened all game, sends the ball 20 yards further back. Lamar Jackson picks up to throw it away and gets concussed. And that's, that's it. You can't, you can't make that many mistakes and expect to win in the NFL. And, you know, Luck plays a, a large part in a whole bunch of things that happen, but you, if you make mistakes, you give the other team the opportunity to have the luck on those mistakes. And that's exactly what happened. The Bills, for all their... Uh, the fact that the Ravens kind of held their offense in check about as well as anyone has throughout the season, the Bills just didn't make a whole lot of mistakes. There was one Josh Allen fumble, and that was really it. And you know that's kind of what the Bills have done all season, is play smart football. So It was about clutch plays that game. I mean, there was obviously... Two Justin Tucker missed kicks, and then there was oh, there was actually only one yeah. missed kick. By the way, I saw a thing today from one of the <laughs> one of the NFL's data guys, and apparently the center of the ball actually crossed it. So apparently the first one hits the upright, and it then boomerangs, and it actually crossed and technically should have counted as a field goal. Crossed the plane, but boomeranged out after, and then the other one hit. The other one was a clean miss, but yeah, apparently the first one actually shouldn't have been a miss. 
that, I don't that, know how you would do it about that, to be honest with you. <laughs> they, need a, they need a camera above the goalpost, don't they? Yeah. I, there was, there was a, I think there was a punt as well, which which went awry. But do you know what I think? The, the unit that's, that, that played the best in that game was the Bills' defence. And last year, we knew how good the Bills' defence were. And this year, they hadn't been at that level. And I think many people were watching the game were surprised at how good they did play, even though, you know, obviously Baltimore did rack up more yards than, um, than, the, than the Bills. But I don't think anyone expected the, Bill, the Bills' defence to limit Baltimore to three points. And that's, you've got to tip their hat to them. You've got to tip their hat to them. So, Gordon, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to the trope that's now doing the rounds. And I, I won't mention, I think it was one of the Sky Sports presenters that says, you know, Lamar Jackson is now one in three in the playoffs. Will he ever be good in the playoffs? And you're thinking, oh, come on. I think it's nonsense. Why do you think this narrative, you know, he's won, he's won a playoff game. That was what they wanted him to do. Then he goes and loses to a very good Buffalo team, you know, having, been, having to be taken out the game. And all of a sudden, you know, it's, well... You know, he can win a wildcard game, but he can't win the next step. Do you buy it? People always like cling to things like that, especially the NFL is such a small sample size sport that it's very difficult to avoid, you know, making rash judgments off of small sample sizes. Even so, it's like Ravens fans are in complete meltdown. Greg Roman's the worst person in the world. Worst offensive coordinator of all time, despite the fact that a season ago, you know, they had an offense that had the unanimous MVP at quarterback. Uh, and I saw someone tweet that it's funny how the Ravens have gone from having a quarterback in Joe Flacco who was poor in the regular season, but elite in the playoffs, to a quarterback who's really good in the regular season, but poor in the playoffs. And if you compare Lamar Jackson's first four, four playoff games to Joe Flacco's, it's night and day, and it's not night and day in favour of Joe Flacco, who won one of his first four playoff games throwing for 34 yards. He beat the Patriots in the wild card. <laughs> like the, if you look at Flacco's first four playoff games, Lamar Jackson's first four are already better than that. Um, the other thing, though, is the Ravens have spent a lot of money putting on or putting out, out a defence on the opposite side of the field. They spent a first-round pick on Marquise Brown at wide receiver. They haven't really invested a whole lot in the offense outside of that. They lost a Hall of Fame guard in the offseason. They then lost their starting left tackle early this season. This offseason, the thing they have to do, if you are going to buy into Lamar Jackson, you're going to have to put receivers around him. You're going to have to go out there and spend $15 million a year on Allen Robinson. You, you, know, you can't go into another season whereby – you've got so little experience at wide receiver at your key top two positions. Now, the tough thing with that is they're not a team that throw the ball a whole lot. They're probably going to rank 31st or 32nd in the NFL in pass attempts. One, because they, they are a running offense. And two, they're a good enough team that they're not always going to be behind. So there's very few games that they're going to have to chase the game. But if you want to develop your offense to the point where you have the players that you can throw the ball to, when you're down 14 points in the playoffs, you're going to have to spend money. And they haven't done it before. I wonder, I think there's two ways of looking at this. You either do what you've just said, or you change the offense. And you change the way in which Lamar Jackson operates as a quarterback. Now, I've made the argument that I don't think he can be a top-shelf quarterback. But I believe 
that rather than basing an offense on the way in which he plays at the moment, which is run, run, and then pass, let's be honest, I think you, you if you flip it on its head and you actually try and build a passing game around him and tell him to focus being a passer, then the legs will do the work for him. And if you've got a running game already there, that to me will make them a more rounded offense going forward. And so actually you have to change the whole culture of the offense, not just get a couple of good receivers in. And that yeah. ultimately, that's, isn't that not the question then? Do you, does Greg Roman not have to completely change his philosophy here and build around a Lamar Jackson that can try and pass? Or is that, is that just not going to happen because he's not good enough as a passer? So I, the way I look at it is the last two seasons, where they rank in terms of like offensive success is through the roof. Um, they are one of the better offenses in the NFL, and they do that despite the fact that they're really not particularly good throwing the ball. They still rack up a ton of yards. The way they run the ball just throws teams for six all the time. The interesting thing with the offense, I don't necessarily think you have to flip it on its head and it has to become a passing offense first, but I do think you have to do not even one of two things. You have to do two things. You do have to develop the passing game. And I'm not entirely convinced that Greg Roman can. This has always been the knock on Greg Roman. When he was in San Francisco with Colin Kaepernick, outstanding first season, first two seasons there, but couldn't develop the passing attack that allowed him to take that next step. Same when he was in Buffalo, and it was Tyrod Taylor. Um, So again, you're not talking about a, a player who's going to go win the NFL MVP there. But again, really good first season couldn't develop the passing game to to kind of go beyond that so they have to develop the passing attack but right now I don't think they have the players around Lamar Jackson outside of the tight end and Mark Andrews to develop a passing attack Marquise Brown has come on really well the second half of the season he's a number two receiver and you can't if, if you're trying to build a passing game with a number two receiver as your number one receiver you're going to fail eventually. We've seen that happen with the Packers, like not having the players around Aaron Rodgers, who is a Hall of Fame passer, let alone not not just a great quarterback, but a Hall of Fame passer. And the seasons where you know he didn't have enough talent around him, the Packers didn't get as far as they needed to get to. So you can't continue to you know hope that your offense is going to magically develop without going out there and getting someone who. The, the thing that Lamar Jackson lacks in that offense is when it, if everything breaks down, who's the player he should throw the ball to instead of running? He just doesn't exist right now. Mark Andrews really isn't that guy. He's, he's okay. He's kind of fell apart and disappeared in the playoffs the last couple of years himself. They need like an Allen Robinson. They need that type of playmaker who things fall apart. He's going to be open, throw it in his general area, and he's going to go try and win the ball. Let's move on to the third and final game of the weekend, which was the Browns (laughs) and the Chiefs, which I actually thought was the best game of the weekend. I mean, the Chiefs were 19-3 up, and the Browns showed a little bit of steel to come on back, but I suppose the man who showed the the biggest colonies was Andy Reid for the way he handled a couple of the plays and the play calling. Gordon, I'll start with you. What impressed you most about this game? I, you know, there's part of me that looks at it and thinks the only reason the Browns were even in the game is because Mahomes got hurt. Not even the injury that knocked him out of the game, but the injury to his foot early in the game clearly had a bit of an impact on the Chiefs' offense. But all things considered with that, 
it would have been really easy for the Browns to have fallen apart after the touchback on the fumble. Um, that I've got no issue with the fumble rule. It should have been helmet to helmet contact. It should have been a flag. So they should have had the ball at the one. They should have been going into um, the going into halftime. You know, a lot closer to the Chiefs than they were. And I think the fact that they stuck around as well as they did for a team who have been laughed at for the best part of two decades for not, you know, always being the same old Browns. And there was a point early on in that game where I think I said it in our group chat, I said the Juju Smith-Schuster quote, Browns is the Browns. <laughs> and they didn't capitulate at that point. You know, they benefited from the fact that Mahomes got hurt, but they still stuck around and they still got back into that game. And I think it was a really good statement by them in terms of what they can be in the future that they didn't look overawed by the occasion. I would, I would, I would agree with that, actually, in many respects. I think they've changed the culture there, though. We've seen that over the season, haven't we? So, so Charles, talk about the, the, the two things that, that caught my eye. One, I mean, Gordon's mentioned that the helmet-to-helmet hit. How on earth was that not spotted uh, by the officials on the field? And secondly, I think there's been a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking about the injury to Mahomes. It looked like a challenge we see two, three, four times in every NFL game. It didn't look to me anything nefarious or suspicious. Just to me, it looked like one of those things. What was your take? Well, I said at the time, I didn't think that there was anything wrong with the hit. And I think Gordon and I maybe disagree on this. I, I think Mahomes, well, Mahomes clearly got his injury concussion by his helmet hitting the turf. The camera angles at the time didn't show the tackle in any shape or form to be a tackle that you would think is an illegal hit or is a problematic hit. It wasn't a horse collar tackle. There was a, a, an angle that they showed after the game had finished, which I thought was quite interesting, that it, it showed much more of a wraparound. Now, look, at the end of the day, these things happen in the game. Um, I, don't think, I don't think it was malicious. Um, I was surprised he was as sparked as he was. It didn't appear, it appeared to be quite innocuous. And I mean, he looked punch drunk. So there was no doubt in, in anyone's mind he was concussed. As for the, as for the helmet to helmet from Soren, I don't think Sorensen deliberately meant that. I don't think that was a malicious hit. Um, although he has had a reputation as being <laughs> Dirty Dan, which obviously the Twitter were quite quick to pile in on. Um, at the time, and they, I think they tweeted out at halftime, Dirty Dan up to his usual tricks. Um, I don't believe, I think I've, I've seen rugby players, you know, making flying tackles for wingers going in at the corner and, you know, you leave it all on the line. These guys know the rules and they know that helmet to helmet's not allowed, but he's trying to get the ball there and it, it should have been, it should definitely have been called. Why it wasn't called? Well, Paul, you're the expert on why official. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let, let, let's not go there just yet. It, I mean, it did change the game, Gordon. I think you mentioned that, but there's a couple of plays that then spring to mind. I mean, obviously the Henny run, you know, the 13-yard run to get the first down was tremendous and nobody was expecting that. There was also the throwing play when everybody was expecting a run. But what about, 
you know, I think we saw all through the weekend coaches sort of trying to go for it when they could, but for some reason, you know, with what, four and a half minutes left, the Browns decided to punt rather than go for it. They obviously didn't believe their offense could do it from there. I think so. I, I think the reason why they did that was pure. I don't think they would have done it. It's probably the right way to phrase this had Patrick Mahomes not been injured. I think they looked at that situation and said, Chad Henney isn't good enough to, to keep this ball for the final four minutes. And I think that's something that Kevin Stefanski will learn from. Um, I, I think as good a season as he had, he had a pretty poor game from a kind of decision-making standpoint. They challenged the catch by Tyreek Hill that was really quite clearly a catch, and he has to have someone that tells him not to challenge that. And those couple of decisions prevented the Browns from having the chance to get the ball back. And I think if they got the ball back, they'd probably win that game. The The way Baker Mayfield was playing, he had a really accurate throw in the ball, apart from that terrible interception. I think there's a really good chance they would have won that game. And I think they'll learn from that going forward. Um, on the injury thing, what I think is really interesting is the reports that are coming out now are kind of the question I asked at the time. Was it his helmet hitting the ground that has caused a concussion? Or has he effectively, not, not deliberately, but been choked out? So the arms wrapped around his neck. And again, I don't think this was like a deliberately malicious thing by Mac Wilson. I do wonder if the NFL are going to look at it and say, we need to look at these types of tackles because it's particularly dangerous. But there's that whole thing, like the UFC type thing. You get a, an arm around your neck quickly, your artery gets closed very quickly and you're just out like a light and apparently the, the reaction is very similar to that and the the news coming out of the chief camp so far is that Mahomes has already passed the first couple of hurdles he has to pass to come out of concussion protocol which suggests that it wasn't as serious a concussion as it could have been which is weird because as woozy as he looked he would have thought that you know it was pretty serious so I wonder if actually it's just been like a complete freak injury um, but I do think at some point the NFL is potentially going to look at that because for it not being deliberate and not being malicious, that could have went really badly for the NFL. It, it was unfortunate because I don't think it, it, it helped. I don't think it helped the game. And I think if, if let's say the Browns had one, they would have been forever tarred with this label of, well, you only won because Patrick Mahomes got injured in the third quarter. Um, I, I thought the Browns did very well. Gen the only mistake Baker Mayfield made all day was the interception. I thought he played really, really well. And I think he's shown in the last in the last 10, 12 weeks that he is worthy of the number one pick from three years ago and that he is a true franchise quarterback for them. Um, I do, I have, I, the, the punt I thought was a total, the, completely the wrong decision. I was sitting screaming at the TV going, what are you doing? And it was even before that, they took about three and a half minutes off the clock and ran it about 15 yards. And it was almost as if we just got to hold on to the ball, we got to drive it down the field, get a touchdown and that's the game over. And I don't think that you can have that attitude. And the, the, their management of that situation was wrong. Just as um, Rashard Higgins's management of the situation when he caught the ball and dived for the end zone with a minute to go was wrong. You've got to have a bit of field awareness. And the Browns, I think they just decided they were going to drive it down the field, take the time off the clock, and that was it. They should have just played their natural game. They seemed to go – they didn't run Nick Chubb at all in the first half. 
And then in the third quarter, he suddenly came into the game. And I just think that some of the play calling was a bit questionable. And some of the, the decision-making, I think, across the board was questionable. And I'm sorry, your defense has got to stop Jack, Chad Henney on that, on, that, um, on that run. The defense was appalling. Absolutely appalling. They've made their name that year, that this year, that, that defense on being opportunistic. And they weren't opportunistic. They should have been much more alert there. Yeah, I, th- I thought they were quite soft. I think just before we leave this game, I think a shout out to Mahomes. Uh, first player since the 49ers, Steve Young in 1995, with three straight playoff games with touchdowns on the ground and through the air. So I think that's pretty impressive stuff from him. So, okay, then let's talk about the final game. Tampa Bay Buccaneers stomping all over the New Orleans Saints by 30 points to 20. And gentlemen, I'll put it to you that turnovers killed the Saints and particularly Jared Cook having the ball knocked out. Saints leading 2013. They're driving. Even if all they get is a field goal, they go two scores up. And from there on in, in my world, the Saints go on to win the game. But turnovers, you turn the ball over, you ain't going to win a game. Turnovers in short fields. Um and, you know, listen, Gordon was saying the same thing when he was talking about the Ravens. You can't make mistakes in the playoffs. And I was kidding on and joking up last week about the fact that, you know, <laughs> Breeze's inability to throw it along was going to cost them. Tom Brady has got a deep ball, but he didn't really need to use it. He only used it once. Um, because they did get presented with a, a bunch of short fields and they did, they were opportunistic. That's what Tampa have done quite well when they have played good defense. And I think you've got, if you're New Orleans, you're sitting there thinking we made, we, you know, we made our own mistakes here, but I think they will be disappointed as well. New Orleans only to score 20 points on Tampa. That I mean, Tampa's defense is good, but I don't think it's outstanding. And um, ultimately it's hard to say about the better quarterback won the game. See, I don't think the quarterback had a great deal to do with it to be honest. I, I think it just came the Saints made mistakes at the wrong times uh, and, and were poor. And what worries me from the Saints' perspective, Gordon, is, you know, you know, they've gone out the Minneapolis miracle, which I still maintain was a perfectly good play from the Vikings. That's fine. Uh, two bullshit calls uh, in the last two years. But I think this was the most disappointing because this was a game, you know, they should have won. They were capable of winning. And I think the Saints lost rather than the Buccaneers won feel free to convince me otherwise. No, I don't don't necessarily think you're wrong. I feel a little bit for the Saints because they effectively chased the dwindling Drew Brees window um, season after season as he got older. Um, and each year he needed a little bit more talent around him. And I think Drew Brees is going to go down as a Hall of Fame quarterback in NFL history he just wasn't, he just didn't have enough in his arm. You know, they were looking for an offense that they were having to pick you off piece by piece going down the field. They couldn't rely on throwing the ball downfield anymore. And it's really hard to do that consistently in the NFL and, and you know, put, enough, put up enough points. And the Saints have been really good at it. But I just kind of felt a little bit like the luck ran out. Um, and then the tough thing now for them is that Drew Brees' contract, even retiring, he's still going to cost him some money, um, provided he does retire, as is assumed. Um, and that's a team that have serious salary cap issues uh, and a massive question of quarterback. So 
this is going to be a really interesting test of Sean Payton's characteristics as a head coach. Uh, and I absolutely think he has it in him to, to take the team back to the playoffs and build a new team around them. Uh, I do just wonder if they're going to regret chasing the last couple of years of Drew Brees' contract. I think that's fair. I think that's ultimately fair. And this, it's on Sean Payton, ultimately. You can't, you can't be sentimental about anything um, in high-level sport. And the irony is that the Packers thought that Rodgers was on the way and drafted his successor. The Saints have had three, four, five years to draft Drew Brees' successor. And I don't buy this narrative that Taysom Hill is the long-term franchise answer. I think he's a brilliant gadget. And I think he's a, he's a weapon that no other team has got. But he is not going to be, in my view, the long-term solution. And it ultimately, I mean, Drew Brees was the quarterback because of the love that they've got for the, the man and the, the, what he means to the city and the team. And that defense is as good as any in the league. And he's got a, 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 an, the best running back in the league and he's got the best offensive line, arguably, in the league. And a, a, the receiver, wide receiver, who was the best in the league last year. And they still couldn't do it. And there is luck involved. But equally, there's ultimately the most important position in the entire sport he's not been at his peak in the last two or three years. And that's really unfortunate if you're a Saints fan, I think. I think as well, it's not even necessarily just that he's not been at his peak the last couple of years. It's that all of those seasons, he started out really well. And as the season's gone on, he struggled more and more. And I did see someone in the past suggest that what the Saints should have considered in the last couple of years is roll out at the start of the season and start a backup quarterback for eight weeks. Get to the you know the season that they got Teddy Bridgewater had them start you know a fairly even where they start a pretty solid start to the season. Get Drew Brees a little bit healthier, or maybe try and give him a break late in the season. But it's not that's not really a way to run an NFL team either. Um, and I, I do I feel I, I feel for the Saints because it must really you know as I know how much it sucks to be sitting here on Tuesday having had your team limp out of the playoffs at the weekend. At least from my perspective, for the Ravens, it's well. We've still got a quarterback who was the MVP last year on a rookie deal. There's you know still loads of things to be hopeful there. Even ignoring the salary cap things for the Saints, it, it does really suck for them that they just weren't able to, you know, get another Super Bowl in these final seasons of Drew Brees' career. And ultimately, you know, they failed in what was you know what was the last opportunity of that. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if we go in perspective, I think we all accept they got royally screwed against the Rams. I don't think there was any doubt about that. And they should have been in the Super Bowl. And I will argue all night if we have to that the Saints would have then won that. The one against Minneapolis was ticky-tacky. That was horrible as well. So again, I, th- I think you're probably right. They went a year too long with Drew Brees. I would have defended the last two years quite happily. I think having Taysom Hill inactive at the weekend was a real big issue for the Saints because obviously Winston came on and ran a play that Taysom Hill would have run. So I think that was a big loss. And I think the fact also is that Kamara, Thomas and Brees were hardly on the field together at all. However, if if I accept that the Drew Brees era is over and if people have not been to New Orleans or, or follow this, they don't understand quite what he means to that city in that region. But I am really excited 
you know, because we're going into territory that a lot of Saints fans haven't known, and that is the, you know, an era without Drew Brees. We've still got arguably one of the best coaches in the league in Sean Payton. And as Charles says, he will view this as a wonderful challenge. And this is a chance for him to cement his legacy as an all-time terrific coach if he can build for a second time with the Saints. Absolutely. Right, that's enough because I don't really want to talk about Tampa Bay anymore. I, I, I will give credit to Tampa Bay in the fact that they're there. I think they came together throughout the season, uh, but it should be pointed out the Saints beat them twice in the regular season as well, so they can go and do one as far as... Moral I'm victory. I, love, I do love a nice moral victory. Gentlemen, belters, bags, and bowfings. So let, let's go to them uh, if my computer decides to hold up. So we'll start with our belters. Uh, Kenny Clark for his stellar performance for the Packers, says Stephen Lynn. Lauren Callahan, Taron Johnson, 101 yard pick six. Gutsy call running it out. Well, yeah, I think that's one way to do it. Belter from Polly, the film of Brady Breezy's kids playing ball after the game ended. Loved that. I'll go with that one as well, Polly. Uh, Ross Sterling, Belter, Chad Henney for his scramble in third and 16 to make it fourth and inches. John Gemmel, Belter, Rogers. Grudgingly, he says, from a Bears fan. Uh, Sean Black, Belter, Leslie Frazier and the Bills D for stifling the Ravens. Sandy Glashen, Rogers to Lazard to split coverage for the touchdown. Ross Doughty, uh, Belter, Rogers, MVB performance, he says. Uh, Pete McCarry, Rogers sending Floyd's soul to heaven. Uh, is his particular one, uh, which I thought was quite good. Uh, Alan Trotter will come back. He's just nominated a ball bag. Philip Spears, uh, Teron Johnson's pick six. Also got to credit the block on Jackson from White on the play. Ross Black agrees the Bills pick six. That seems to be the popular one, Charles. Where are you going? I think that's probably fair. You mentioned Leonard Floyd getting um, completely bamboozled by Rogers. I think there are a few memes that have appeared on on social media of him jumping and continuing to head towards the moon <laughs> and through <past> satellites <laughs> um, and into outer space. Um, so and given that he's a former Chicago Bear, I have absolutely no sympathy for him whatsoever. But no, I think you can give it to Tyrone Johnson. I think that, it, correct me if I'm wrong, Gordon, with your knowledge, but that was the tide or was the longest interception return in NFL playoff history and that that could I read somewhere on Monday that somebody in in Buffalo said that is a play that could change the future of our franchise and given how difficult it's been to be a Buffalo Bills fan over recent times I mean they hadn't won a playoff game since the mid-1990s that was the moment where I think probably everybody in Buffalo suddenly realized, hang on a minute, we could go all the way here. So you've got to hand it to him. Um, it may well have been the fact he might have got a, a, you know, a bit of a bruising from his coach for not kneeling in the end zone, but he made the right call. He made the right call and it was spectacular. And that's what we all love to see in the playoffs is big plays and big swings, you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with not quite as... Uh, not quite the exact same thing as that. Uh, the Buffalo Bills fans have had a reputation throughout the years of just being a great fan base that does very generous things. Um, I had my fun with them earlier in the year because they've been previously very anti-PFF because of the fact that we were against Josh Allen early in his career. 
thankfully I've, I've smoothed that over with them. Uh, they donated, I think it was about a quarter of a million dollars to a charity of Lamar Jackson's in, I think it's in Louisville where he played in college, purely because he got knocked out of the playoff game injured. Um, and they did the same thing to Andy Dalton when they, when Andy Dalton scored against the Ravens on fourth down to send the Bills to the playoffs a couple of years ago. Um, and I just think they're a fan base who, for all the talk of smashing through tables and all that nonsense, when push comes to shove, this is now probably the fourth or fifth time that they've dug deep and donated to a charity of an opposing player who's got hurt or a player on another team who's helped them out some way or another. Yeah, let's give them credit for that. Particularly, we're, we are on a pandemic and people are struggling for cash. It's not the, the richest part of the world. So, yeah, g- good on them. Let's go to our ball bag. Stephen Lynn says the ref who missed Sorensen's helmet-to-helmet contact. To be fair, he was at least two yards away. That was difficult to see. Uh, Lauren Callahan uh, will throw the yellow flag on this one. Drew Brees didn't put on a good show. Thank you very much. Uh, Polly, those suggesting playoff games should always be played indoors. Yeah, we're having none of that. John Gemmel, Breeze, thank you. Uh, Sean Black, Brown's last drive, terrible clock management and play calls. We talked a little bit about that, Sean. That was Sean Black. Sandy Galshan, any interception to absolutely nobody? Hmm. Ross Downey, uh, Breeze and Greg Roman for a badly called game. That'll make Gordon smile. Uh, Alan Trotter is nominated. Bob Ag will come for us. The Sorison missed tackles getting a lot of love as well. Uh, Philip Spears, Ross Black, both going for them. Who's the ball bag? Sorensen for doing it, which we don't think he meant to, or the officials for not spotting it? Or or the NFL for the fact that you cannot review what is something that's an easily reviewable thing. Oh, there's helmet-to-helmet contact. Cool, that's a flag. Done. Why? why, Because conceivably, for all the, the refs should have seen that he's two yards away, there's an angle that that can happen at that you don't see it. So just review it. It takes 30 seconds. You yeah, said like me yeah. two years ago. Why, why, are, why aren't every play reviewable? Goodness, you know, by the booth, not necessarily challengeable, but by the booth. Charles, I do... Sorry, I did interrupt you. No, no, it's fine. I don't think every play should be reviewable, by the way. Otherwise, it would be there all night. And the games would last about 17 hours, honestly. I, I, you've, got to, you've got to make the call on the field, but the important call should be reviewable. And that is an important call because it's in the end zone and it's a scoring play essentially. So it, it's like, in, it's like in, you know, it's like goal line technology. That's basically what it is. Or it's like checking if a, a cricket player is out or not when they're stumped. That is a goal line play and it should be reviewable. And you know, it's not, it's not easy being a referee. I've, I have a football refereeing qualification, um, which entitles me to be half a referee. And I can tell you it's, bloody difficult to be a referee in any sport so uh, you know I have a bit of sympathy for the officials ball bag my ball bag is Tyreek Hill for shoving his wide receiver coach which was totally unnecessary and this I think was after one of the plays that Chad Henney made Um, and Tyreek Hill struts over to the sidelines yells at the top of his voice to nobody in particular and then shoves his wide receiver coach about six yards down the touchline. Wasn't the wide receiver coach's fault that something had either gone wrong? I think it was I think it was actually off the back of the interception. And he was raging. And I mean the man is an absolute tool. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> I, I actually think I actually think that, that wound up being like overblown. Like it initially looked really bad and it turned out they were like messing around on the sideline. Mm-hmm is what the actual story wound up being. But at the time, it looked like this horrendous, 
like you're now getting physical with a coach. I, I, I'm, I'm disappointed in your choice of Bob Ag there, Charles, because there's a very, very clear choice for Bob Ag of the weekend. And it's the man who screamed bloody murder when he thought Chad Henney had, had got the first down on third and oh, 13 in the Romo, scramble. yeah, Romo. I forgot about Romo. Screaming, yeah. screaming to the point that Jim Nance is trying to explain to people, no, it's short. The referee has said it's short. And Tony Romo's still screaming about, Chad Henney's ran them all the way to the AFC Championship game. I thought the following play, when he loses his mind for the fourth down thing, that was great. But don't lose your mind to the point that we can't hear what's actually going on and your uh, co-commentator can't explain what's happening on the play. Yeah, that's to be fair. You're you're absolutely right. I'd forgotten about our WhatsApp blowout that we've had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, as a as as you know, Paul, as a, as a fellow broadcaster, will have a probably a similar view or maybe a different view. I thought he Romo is is very good. He knows the position, of, you know, of of the quarterback on the field. He knows the game inside out. I love the fact that he can predict plays before they've happened. But there is a broadcasting ethical code. Don't don't go over the top to the point whereby you sound hysterical, um, and don't do it in a public forum as well. Um, and we, you know, it's it's oh god, it was it. Well, I did want to throw something at the television when he did that, and I just thought it was so wrong. And Cameron, bless him, he's not here, but Cameron, I think, could get a ball bag vote for thinking it was good. So you know, I, I don't, I, I didn't, I don't like that at all. Ooh. I was, I was tempted to nominate Cameron for the fact that he tried to get me to retweet. Uh, if you're cheering on the Browns and Jamie Gillen, retweet this, as if I'm going to retweet that to my mainly Ravens fan followers and not get absolutely roasted. Absolutely not. I do like that. Now we got we had a lot of nominations, Bowfin and Ballbag, for roughly the same thing, which, which was the hit. But also, as we've touched upon, uh, t- Tony Romo, Charles. I, I'm with you. I just I think the fact that they weren't together because um, Romo was calling off site. I think that really showed up on the broadcast because what you then lacked was that eye to eye contact or the chance to put the hands up and just go, whoa. Hang on a second. You know, it, it's the, the non-verbal communication, I think, was, was part of the problem. I think Romo thought he was being excitable. I'm like you. I love him. But I was, I was yelling as well. Just, just shut up and let the play-by-play guy do his job. For my Bowfin Bobag Award, I'm actually going to give it to the New Orleans Saints. How about that? What? Absolutely. So the New Orleans Saints two years ago allowed Zach Streif to basically walk off the field and into the broadcast booth uh, to replace Jim Henderson. I listened to the third quarter of the game uh, on the radio. Uh, I'll tell you what, I nearly smashed my tablet. The guy was that bad. He doesn't complete sentences. He doesn't tell you what's happening. Um, you know, it, it's just everything that was wrong in broadcasting. So he gets my my award for this week for just being an absolute ugh, in terms of radio. I think it's absolutely incredible that Drew Brees can average 3.9 yards per attempt and Paul's takeaway for the worst thing of the weekend for the Saints was the guide in radio commentary. Exactly. That's why I'm the throne presenter of this particular (laughs) podcast that people know and even some might love. Gentlemen, I've got two other topics I want to touch on very quickly. I want to preview the games for the weekend. Then I want to talk a little bit about the coaching changes that have happened since we, we last chatted. So we do have the Bills at Chiefs, the Bucks at Packers. Unsurprisingly, I'm going to ask Charles... Uh, about the Bucks and Packers, Charles. 
tell me, if you can, how the Packers could lose this game. By forcing it, like they did in week six, and by their defence collapsing. I've got absolute faith that Aaron Rodgers will play to the heights that he has done all season, uh, bar, I think, two games. I mean, he's thrown five picks all season, and two of them were against Indianapolis, and two of them were against Tampa Bay, and they lost both of those games. Um, if he plays like he did against Tampa Bay in week six down in Tampa, they will lose. There's no doubt about it. I don't think he will. I think they're a different he's – a, he's a different beast now. Um, and ultimately, the problem is going to be the defense. If the defense cannot hold up, Tampa could score 35 points, 40 points. Then you're in a shootout. That, then it's a coin flip of a game, in my view. If, if Aaron Rodgers has a clean pocket all day, doesn't get sacked, if he stays on his feet and the defense doesn't get him and doesn't pressure him into mistakes, I think that they will win. I said that last week, and that was proved right, and I think it will be the same this week. But the difference this week is that Tampa have got an offense that can do some damage, and so Green Bay's defense needs to step up. Yeah, the one thing that would scare me is that the Bucks have the weapons on offense. They've got three talented receivers that can do some serious damage. That's going to put pressure on the defense. But just as I felt really confident in Tom Brady in a dome last week, Tom Brady in freezing temperatures in Lambeau, I don't have a whole lot of faith in this Sunday. So I, I, I think the Packers are going to win. That is the only concern. If the, if the Bucks get off to a hot start with those weapons, the Packers then start to chase it and things can go wrong. I don't think that's going to be the case, though. So let's jump to the AFC, which is the second game on Sunday. Bills at Chiefs now. I, I guess, I mean, this is this is earlier in the week, gents, so we don't know if Patrick Mahomes is going to start for definite. It looks like at the moment he's coming through the protocols okay. If he starts, Gordon, the Chiefs are unbeatable, yes or no? No, I don't think they're unbeatable. The way the, way the Bills' offense has played this season, Josh Allen is absolutely capable of going into Arrowhead and putting up 30 to 40 points on his own with that offense. Um, that I, I'm really excited for this game. As much as I was hoping that the Ravens were going to beat the Bills, this is absolutely the two best teams in the AFC. It, it, and it's felt that way since week five. Um, the two best teams entirely deserving to be in here Offences that are capable of giving us a 40-38 shootout. Um, the Bills absolutely can win this. If Patrick Mahomes starts the game and the foot issue is cleared up, because that's the other part of this that I think people are forgetting. Everyone focuses on the concussion part and is he cleared to play. He looked really ropey at the early part of that game against the Browns after he'd picked up the foot injury. If he's limited a little bit by that foot, I think the Bills probably win the game. If he's fully good to go, it's really hard to pick against the Chiefs. Ultimately, you're in a situation where you've got the four best quarterbacks in the league playing in the two championship games, which is what everybody wants to see. And that's testament to Josh Allen and what he's done this year. Um, if Mahomes isn't playing, Buffalo are going to the Super Bowl. There's no doubt about it, in my view. If Mahomes is playing, Buffalo can still win that game because it comes down to the unit that stopped Baltimore and if the Buffalo defense, which is better than the Cleveland defense, of course, um, and better than most defenses, I think, that Kansas City have faced, if they can step up, they can make a play or two. I think 
Kansas City may well struggle and to keep up, especially if Mahomes is 100%. You know, you go look at the, you know, the full package here. Buffalo are the complete team. They've been building to this for two, three years. And, that, you know, it's, it's, in, it's at Arrowhead, but I don't think that necessarily matters. I don't think that's going to matter to Josh Allen. My favourite storyline heading into this game is if you look back at when they played, I think it was a Monday Night Football early in the year, the Bills basically said to the Chiefs, run the ball. We don't care. Pick up five yards of carry if you want. Every now and again, you're only going to gain two and you're going to get yourself in third and seven. And we want your offense in third and seven. So run the ball on us all game if you want. We're just going to try and stop the pass. And the Chiefs ran the ball all over them that game. And it was really close in the end. The Bills had an opportunity at the end to win that game. So I wonder if the Bills... Now, if Chad Henney's playing, I think the game plan totally changes there. But if Mahomes is fit and healthy, I wonder if the Bills just do the exact same again. Just say to them, do what you want, run the ball. We're going to try and match you, score for score we think we can. And we're going to let you take time off the clock. It's interesting, Gordon, because I, I just wondered if the game plan would actually change that much. Would they basically you know, allow them to run it, say, on first and second down? Because they know Chad Henney isn't capable time after time of going for you know, the third and sevens. Mahomes obviously would have a much better chance. Or would you see Andy Reid then just perhaps going more to the air early with Chad Henney to try and stretch the, the defence of the Bills? Yeah, I mean, he certainly didn't look nervous, you know, turning to the passing attack after Mahomes went out. You know, yeah. They were thrown all over the field with Henney. And outside of that horrendous interception to who knows who he was trying to throw the ball to, it worked pretty well. So... Andy Reid has a lot of faith in his ability to call an offensive game plan. Between him, Eric Bieniemy, and I think it's Mike Kafka as the quarterback's coach or the offensive assistant, they've got a, a very well-oiled offensive machine there. And I don't know that they would change the game plan too much. I do think the Bills probably change it a little bit, but the Chiefs, I think, would very much still throw the ball maybe, maybe only 5% less than they would if Mahomes was there. The yeah. game's going to come down to the two defences. And Kansas City's defence played really well, I think, against Cleveland. Um, you know, they, they obviously had the pick, but they were they were really causing Baker Mayfield problems. And he's got one of the best offensive lines in the league. And fair enough, he lost his left tackle really early on. But they put a lot of pressure on him. And he played very well, but they put a lot of pressure on him and they shut the run down in the first half. And Buffalo don't run. They're quite happy just to throw. So... It, it, it'll be interesting to see actually what Kansas City do because Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator, loves to blitz. They're going to blitz Josh Allen all day. How does he handle that blitz? And equally, how do Buffalo deal with Mahomes? I think ultimately it's it's it's, it's a tight, tight, tight game, and there are there are guys on that on both sides who can make defensive plays, who can who can make interceptions. Tre'Davious White, Tyron Matthew. Chris Jones, guys like that. These guys are going to make plays and ultimately that will determine the game. I mean, it's, it's going to be an offensive game, but ultimately the, the defence that makes a turnover and there will be a turnover in the game is going to be the one that decides it. You know, part of me actually hopes, and I, this will not be popular with Chiefs fans, part of me actually hopes Patrick Mahomes doesn't make it because I, I would be fascinated as Gordon Outlay just to see how Andy Reid used Chad Haney to see if he could get past it. I think for the good of the sport, I think we'd rather see Patrick Mahomes in there. Gents, there have been coaching changes 
Urban Meyer has been paid a shed load of money, plus another shed and another few sheds along the way to take over at Jacksonville Jaguars. It seemed to be the obvious move for him. It's that old college to pro approach, but Urban Myers has got talent there. He's got draft picks there. Is he well positioned to succeed in Jacksonville? I think he's clearly he's clearly waiting to come to the NFL for the point where he had the number one overall pick and could go and get the quarterback he wants. You know, that's the the tough thing for college coaches moving to the NFL is that in college. Recruiting means that if you're a really good team, there's a good chance that you can get the top players to come to your college. If you're winning titles, you can get them to come to your college and you can stay good. The NFL, you only get the top picks if you're bad. And he's coming to a situation where he's going to get a quarterback that he has previously said is the best college quarterback of all time in Trevor Lawrence. There's there's no way they do anything other than draft Trevor Lawrence at number one. Um so it's really interesting to see. I, I don't love the fact that you know he's left a couple of times in college. It's been for health reasons, but they've been through kind of stress-related issues, which the NFL is going to be even more high, high pressure than college was. Uh, but he's in the best situation to, to succeed in terms of having that first overall pick to get the quarterback and having the salary cap to go and sign players. So there is a big opportunity for him there. They haven't announced his GM yet, have they? That's the only thing. And I think they'll need to get someone in there who's got a bit of an experience of, of the NFL and kind of managing roster in that respect. Yeah, can, can I just suggest that they do a little bit better job than the New York Mets in vetting the general manager candidates? That might be an idea. Just, you know, hey, going wild <laughs> on that. If you've not followed that story, please do have a little Google of it. Arthur Smith to the Falcons. It sounds like a comedic move, but unfortunately it's not that Arthur Smith. It's the other one. Uh, good choice, bad choice? Uh, I think he will be a good choice if... Matt Ryan, it depends really on Matt Ryan, let's be honest. If Matt Ryan thinks it, thinks that he's still got a few years left and if Arthur Smith still thinks more importantly that Matt Ryan's still got a few years left, then he can do something with him because they've got weapons there. I mean, in, in Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones, what they need is the defense that's actually going to be efficient and they've not got a lot of cap space. That's the problem. And ultimately, the quarterback is the key. He's, he's proved he's been... He's done a great job with Tannehill and, and Derek Henry, but I think this is an altogether more difficult job. And it's a, difficult, a more difficult division as well. Gordon, it's not often that you get a head coaching job moving up from a coordinator job where you change teams but stay in the same stadium. Uh, but the Chargers have got their man from the Rams, so he'll be well used to what's going on around there. Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting hire. I, I, I'm both really pleased and really excited by it and also really disappointed. So the reason why I'm really excited is that uh, Brandon Staley has very quickly become one of the most well thought of defensive coordinators in football. Um, the way they've been able to put a defense out there, I think it's going to be fascinating to see him try and attack Patrick Mahomes uh, twice a season for the next you know, three, four years at least. The one part of it that I really really dislike is that the guy who was heavily rumored to get the job was Brian Dable, the Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator. And Justin Herbert's just coming off a really nice rookie season. It would have been great to have seen him paired with 
an offensive mind like Brian Dable, who has got this season out of Josh Allen. I think you might look back in history in this and think, Brandon Staley's a perfectly good coach. They missed a trick not getting an offensive guy who can take Justin Herbert to the next level. And the Detroit Lions, well, there was no surprise that Matt Patricia got binned mid-season. Is there a surprise that they've gone for the Saints' assistant head coach, as he was called, the tight ends coach, the rather excitable at times, Mr. Dan Campbell? Uh, well, you'll, know, you'll probably know more about him in terms of the quality of his coaching, Paul, but that Detroit job just looks awful. Matt Stafford, nobody really knows where the, what's, what the future is with him. All the, the vibes coming out of Detroit was that he might well be on the way. Um, the, the, the roster is a mess. All the receivers are free agents this year, and that's arguably one of the strengths of their, of their team. Um, and the less said about the defense, the better. He's got a massive job, and he's in a, he's in a division with Green Bay. So it's going to be really, really tough for him, I think. And he's got, you know, he's got to have the support there. And again, it starts with the quarterback. Gordon, I think that this is a selling job for Dan Campbell. If I'm Dan Campbell, I'm going on to the local radio stations, the local television stations. I'm integrating myself with the media because, as Charles will tell you, managers who integrate themselves with the media get a little bit of an easier ride because that's human nature. That's just the way it goes. And I think he needs to try and get people on side because I think he's going to try and stay there at least three years, which may well prove to be impossible. Yeah, I mean, I think he's, he's given two years at least. Um, there's not a situation I can see whereby he would be out the door um, after year one, barring going 0-16, for example. Um, the interesting thing with the Lions is that I think it was Brad Holmes they hired as their general manager who was with the Rams, and I think he's very highly thought of. So their general manager hire is actually quite exciting, I think. Matt Campbell just feels like a really boring choice for head coach, given the choices that were out there. You know, you could have gone and got an offensive mind like Eric Bieniemy. Uh, you know, there's other guys out there that I think people are very excited about that could have potentially taken Matt Stafford and got the most out of him for the last couple of years or built a new offense there. They've kind of the Matt Patricia hire was a similar one in terms of they got this guy in who okay we're gonna you know we're gonna be a tough team we're gonna be built like this and that's what the Dan Campbell hire screams is they're gonna build a tough team again and they've tried that now three four times and it hasn't worked every single time and I kind of don't see this working any better this time. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be selfish and say I, I liked him at the Saints. I would like to see him do really well at Detroit. But I think it's one of these ones that when the offer comes along and the hand is extended for you to shake, I think you've just got to take it, bite the bullet, take the salary and and believe in yourself. I mean, we've mentioned Eric Bieniemy, We've mentioned Brian Dibble. Biden Leftwich, is, is he a potential candidate? We've got just a couple of minutes left on the podcast. I just wonder, I've not seen his name as much as I thought I might. Yeah, I think the tough thing for there for him there is that so much of having Brady around makes people just want to doubt what you did as a coordinator. Now, the season before, obviously, they threw for a ton of yards with Jameis Winston, but Winston still made all the mistakes. So I think if Leftwich and the Bucks offense had had as much success as they had this year without Tom Brady, he would probably be getting a lot more buzz. And he might have to wait. Maybe he just needs another season with you know the Brady offense and 
you know, the Brady connection wears off enough on him that he's considered head coaching material in the NFL the same way the Sean McVay connection seems to work so well for everyone. But I do think that there will be people who are a little bit sceptical because Tom Brady is there to, to make the offense keep moving. The counter to that, of course, is that um, you know Brady for years has worked with Josh McDaniel up in uh, New England and Brady's gone this year. That offense really didn't click at all. And Josh McDaniel, who obviously had a failed head coaching stint before, maybe he's not everybody's cup of tea now. I haven't seen him mentioned with any opening this this season at all. I think that says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, it's very interesting indeed. Well, that is indeed the challenge flag thrown. And as a result, we must end the podcast. I should say this is episode 133, and it's only the second time that Cameron's been on the sidelines. So he has been pretty much an iron man of this podcast. My thanks to Charles Patterson and to Gordon McGuinness for joining me on this podcast. The bad news is we're going to be in lockdown over Super Bowl, so it's going to be a lot harder to have Super Bowl parties unless we, Nicola and Big Boris, decide that we're going to get the night off similar to Christmas Day. We'll wait and see. Do join us next week when we'll look back on those championship games do check out all of our great writers at the nfl scotland website we're on social media on twitter and various other platforms but for charles for gordon and myself thanks for listening bye for now